You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, good morning. It's um, so wonderful to be with you this morning. Donna and Safi and I, we have stepped away from Baxter Avenue Baptist Church this morning there in uh, the city of Louisville. But it is good to be with you, especially on this Mission Sunday. Uh, <clears throat> Jason, our, our 20 years or so ago, Old Testament too. My goodness, time gets by. Uh, <clears throat> but it is good to be with you this morning. Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Now we're going to read only down through verse 5. The story actually continues uh, beyond verse 5 there, and I will say a word about that later. But our attention will be focused on these opening verses of chapter 13. And nothing particularly exciting about my sermon title this morning. I'm not the most exciting person in the world, and I don't try to pass myself off as that. What were those old commercials? The uh, most, it was, it was, sorry, but it was a liquor commercial one. <laughs> uh, the most um, uh, interesting man in the world. <clears throat> Um, I am certainly not that, and, um, but uh, if I were to entitle, in fact, I have entitled the sermon this morning, From Antioch, Lessons for the Church, and by that I mean lessons for us this morning. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your word. And here in the book of Acts, you tell us of the gospel going out into the world, that same gospel that has now come to us. And we are so grateful for all that we have because of the gospel and all that we have in Jesus Christ. This morning, Father, turn our eyes to him and stir us up, Father, to uh, do the work to which you have called your church. That is, to proclaim the gospel to those who are near but also far. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a context here, obviously, an historical context. The church has been driven to Antioch because of persecution. You can go back to chapter 11 and pick up on that story. Um, These were bad times. Um, Not merely a broad general persecution of God's people, but we read in chapter 12 of Peter being arrested. If we go back a chapter earlier in chapter 11, we discovered that it was a time of famine. These just were not good days. (laughs) They were bad days. Well, that's the bad report, but there are also some good reports. And we need to take uh, notice of these. 
In chapters 10 and 11, we read about the gospel coming to the Gentiles and along with the gospel, the Holy Spirit. We read at, uh, in chapter 12 of how Peter was then delivered from prison. We also read there in that same chapter of God's judgment against those who oppose him and his church, particularly Herod. And there at the end of chapter 12, we get this report that the word increased in those days, in spite of all the bad news, the word increased and the disciples multiplied in number. There's an initial lesson for us here this morning, and this is not really uh, one of my points, but it is an important lesson, I think, and it's simply this. God does what he pleases. God does what he pleases. He accomplishes everything that he intends to accomplish, even in the face of great opposition. Let the world, let Satan, let all the opposition array themselves against this God, and he will still do what he intends to do. The gospel goes forth. Now, specifically from our text, there are three things that I see here. There is a normal church, there's a setting apart, and there's a sending out. In verse 1 and the first half of verse 2, there is this normal church. We, if we're not careful, we begin to think of Antioch as some sort of extraordinary uh, church uh, to which we probably should not aspire because if we do, we will certainly fall short of the ideal that is found there in Antioch. But let me just tell you that the church there in Antioch, the New Testament expectation is that it is a normal church. It's not something extraordinary, this is normal. In fact, from the larger context, let's describe the church just a bit. In chapter 11, verse 21, these are believers who are gathered together. Fellow believers in the gospel. We also discover in chapter 11 that they met together regularly. That's what churches do. Uh, in chapter 13, verse 1, and we pick up on this also from Paul's writings over in Ephesians 4, we discover here at Antioch prophets and teachers, pastors, teachers, those who uh, present the word of God in the congregation. There's more here. Not all the folks there at Antioch are exactly alike. There's great diversity here. There's Simeon called Niger. Uh, most scholars think that he would have been a black man. Um, there is uh, Manaean, get this, a member at Herod's court. Herod who sought to destroy the people of God. Um, one of his own are here in the church, not to mention <laughs> the persecutor of the church, Saul. I mean, do you see the diversity here? Um, I am now pastor at Baxter Avenue Baptist Church. It's, it's not an inner, inner, inner city congregation, but it is, it's very urban. Revitalization work. It's, ju it's just, just a joy to be there. And a student asked me uh, uh, a year or so ago, I've been there four years, Don and I've been there four years, 
Um, student asked me, now Dr. Martin, how many interim pastorates have you done? And I thought, I, I said, well, I, I don't really know. I, I, I don't know that I can count them all up. And I paused for a moment and I thought, but wow, you know, <laughs> I've never done a Baxter Avenue before. Um, I, I just, it, it is, wow. Uh, the diversity there from the urban context doesn't mean that every congregation has to have the same degree of diversity in terms of ethnicity, in terms of race, in terms of family versus single, uh, in terms of age. Uh, a congregation ought to reflect this context. Um, Baxter does. You do. Certainly the church at Antioch did. There are all these sorts of folks who are gathered there. That's normal. It's just normal. And not only that, the church at Antioch is found doing what the church does normally, worshiping the Lord and fasting. Are you picking up on this? Now, we're focused on missions this morning. I need to say a word about missions. A number of years ago, I heard Dr. Jerry Rankin, who then was president of the International Mission Board, he told the story of a young couple, and they were from North Carolina. I don't remember what city, I don't remember the name of the church, it doesn't matter. But he told the story of this young couple asking him if he would come to the church, and this young couple was being sent out by Southern Baptists through the International Mission Board as missionaries, and they asked Dr. Rankin if he would come and preached that Sunday morning in which, during which uh, their home church was recognizing them and sort of formally sending them out. Um, and this young couple was so excited about that, having Dr. Jerry Rankin, president of the International Mission Board, speaking. Um, uh, he asked them, uh, well, um, uh, have others been sent out? from this church? No, we are the first. Uh, well, how long, he asked, how long uh, has the church been in, in existence? Over 150 years. And he simply asked, what took so long? You see, it's not normal to go 150 years without sending out. The New Testament expectation is that we are doing this. We're doing all these things, but also we're sending out. And so there's a lesson here. Lesson number one for the church from Antioch. Missions grows and emerges out of normal church life. It is not something that should be rare and exceptional. It should not take us 150 years, and I, I, I know that this does not apply to Mount Washington Baptist Church, but it's a good lesson for us nevertheless. It is normal that we are doing these things. This is not an exceptional church at Antioch, okay? There's a second matter that I see here. It's found in the latter part of verse 2, there in verse 3. There is this setting apart of Barnabas. And of Saul, by the way, by the Holy Spirit, who speaks within the congregation, gives direction in the congregation. This is not merely a uh, personal choice on the part of Barnabas and Saul. This is not merely a, a, a private 
conversation between the pastor and Barnabas and Saul. Um, uh, this is not just a family uh, decision. This is a congregational decision as the congregation is led by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who calls and who directs. We know this to be the case. We, we understand that salvation is, of the work, is the work of the Lord. If I say that I am saved, I'm going to say, what I mean by that, the Lord has saved me. I love the way the Old Testament prophet put it, Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord. You believe that, don't you? Yeah. Well, there's a sense in which we can say missions is the work of the Lord. It is God who, first of all, saves the individual, the couple. Uh, it is God who gifts gives gifts to that individual. It is God who prepares that individual, who brings experiences into his or her life. It is God who speaks into that life through the congregation and through the Holy Spirit and through his word. It is God who prepares. It is God who goes before that missionary, who stands behind that missionary. It is God who puts his gospel, his words into the missionary's mouth. It is God who prepares the hearts of those who will receive the message. It is God who gives life and draws the sinners to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. It is God, it is Jesus who builds his church. And even hell itself will not be able to stand against his church because it's his church, he has built it. Missions is the work of the Lord. And we see that here. It is a normal thing. It is the Holy Spirit who calls and directs here. We respond, but at the end of the day, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And there is specificity here. Something very specific here. This is not just, hey, you bunch of Antiochans. I'm not even sure that um, uh, Antioch, Antiochans, does that sound about right? We, we, have this, we have this ongoing um, debate at Baxter. Are we a bunch of Baxterians or a bunch of Baxterites? Uh, I opt for Baxterians. There are those who argue with me, say, no, we're Baxterites. Well, that sounds kind of cultish to me, Baxterites, Baxterians. Uh, Antiochians, Antiochians, anyway. Uh, this, this bunch of folks at Antioch, um, it, it's not merely a general call. Hey, guys, I want you to do missions. I, I want you to be responsible for taking the gospel to those who do not have it. There is a very specific instruction here. Set aside for me Barnabas and Saul. And not only that, set them aside for a very specific word, uh, work. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So here is command. Set apart. There's intentionality here. Uh, here is reliance upon God after fasting and praying, do this. Uh, be sure that you get this right. And you will get this right by conferring, talking with the one who sins. And then thirdly, here is obedience. They sent them off. Wow. A number of years ago, and Jason, I don't know. I, I might, I'm probably going to get in trouble with this one, this story, this illustration. Um, but um, so be it. <laughs> you know, I, I figure, um, well, I figure you're here um, 
uh, you've been trained and taught, trained and taught well. Did you catch what I did just there? Um, you've been trained and taught well, and um, you can clean up any messes uh, that I leave. A number of years ago, uh, in a um, doctoral seminar in missions, PhD seminar in missions, I had this ongoing uh, debate with a young man, a student. His name was Brent, and and um, so he would all we, we would always disagree. He would say to me, "Now we are all missionaries," and I would say, "No, we're not." And he said, "He was, but oh, we are." Uh, oh, and I would say, "But we are not." And so we we never agreed on that. Um, we certainly are all to be faithful ambassadors of Christ, right? We are all to be faithful in declaring the gospel, making the gospel known wherever God has put us. We're to be faithful servants, disciples of the Lord, doing the work of the gospel, absolutely. Every one of us without exception. But this term missionary, as I understand it, and as we have historically used it as Southern Baptists, is a very specific term. It refers to those who, again, whom God has called out, whom God has gifted, whom um, uh, the church has recognized, um, who ha have been prepared and intentionally and deliberately sent out to take the gospel to those who do not have it. Um, if I am walking down the sidewalk, which I don't do nearly as quickly as I used to, if you saw me make my way up here. Um, but if I'm walking down the sidewalk and say there's an old Indian gentleman before me, just in front of me, and um, a Hindu gentleman, and I catch up with him. Again, I don't do much catching up these days, but um, in, my, in my younger days. And I catch up with him and I engage him in conversation. And... Um, I share the gospel with him. The question we might ask, am I being a missionary there? I would argue, and I'm, this is not a hill I'm going to be willing to die on or split churches over or disagree with pastors on too, too harshly, too strongly. But if you were to ask me, am I being a missionary there? I would say no. I'm simply being a faithful ambassador of Christ, sharing the gospel as I have opportunity. Certainly. We are not all missionaries, and I think we can agree on this. We are not all missionaries in a Pauline sense, in a Barnabas sense, who are actually raised up and sent out to those who do not have the gospel. That's what's going on here. And so, here's another lesson for us from Antioch. I believe we must always be listening and always intentionally looking for those whom God will send. We don't just expect these to show up. We must be intentionally and deliberately listening to God and looking for those who would go. Listening. There's some moms in the building here this morning and some dads also. Dads, perhaps your experience is the same as mine. When our children were very small, still infants in the crib, uh, middle of the night, baby cries out. Uh, uh, ladies, could I have just a moment or two to have a private conversation with the men, with the fathers? Is that all right? 
Is that okay? Uh, men, fathers in particular. Um, in your experience, who gets up and goes and takes care of the baby? I don't believe that for a moment. Um, who, who, let, let me ask moms. Who gets up and takes care of the baby? Moms. So um, happens two or three times in the middle of the night. Who gets up and it's always mom. That's the way it always was in our house. I'm going to tell you, my wife Donna had this uncanny ability seemingly to sleep with one ear shut and one ear open. Do any of you know about that? I, I, and um, I would get up early in the morning and she's, Donna's still sound asleep and I elbow poke her and say, sweetheart, get up. It's, it's time to get up. Oh, darling, I've been up all night with the baby. Um, just let me lie here for a few more minutes. Um, and I'm thinking, what? Um, she just always heard. Um, it's not that I loved those little ones any less than she did. In fact, I would, could tell her, sweetheart, all you had to do was <laughs> jam your elbow in my ribs, wake me up. I would have been glad to go in and check on the baby. But I just never heard it. That's what moms do, isn't it? That's how moms listen. Wow. That's how we must be listening to the Holy Spirit. We must be intentionally, not only listening, but looking for those who will be sent out from amongst us. Always looking. That's our second lesson. There's, all this is normal. This is normal church. There is this setting apart. And then there is the actual sending out in verses 4 and 5. There's a reiteration here, a repetition here. In verse 2, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. And now here in verse 4, we read that so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, again, the sending out is a sending by God. Always this is the case. In salvation, it is God who regenerates, who gives the, a new heart. It is God who draws. It is God who convicts. It is so in the gospel ministry. It is God who prepares his ministers and walks with them and sustains them and gives them the message to preach. It is so in missions. It is God who calls and equips and goes before and behind. This is the work of God, this sending out. And we have many biblical examples of God sending his people to specific places. Abraham, actually Abram at the time, Abram to Canaan. He didn't just say, get up and take off. He said, I want you to go to Canaan. There's Moses, go to Pharaoh, very specifically. Samuel, go see, go see old Eli. Yeah. Elijah, to the brook Cherith, and then to the widow, and ultimately to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Go to them. Go to these places, Jonah to Nineveh, Isaiah to the remnant, Jeremiah to, the, uh, to Judah and Jerusalem in those last years of uh, the, king, the southern kingdom, Joseph and Mary and Jesus down into Egypt. The Father led them down there for their protection. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two in the surrounding villages. 
Very direct instructions, specificity again. And then, of course, there's that, what we sometimes refer to as the fivefold commission. There's the great commission in Matthew chapter 28. We all know that. But there, are, there is a similar commission that we find in Mark 16, in John 20, in Luke 24, and we cannot forget Acts 1. The disciples there before the risen Lord, they could have asked him anything that they wanted. And what did they ask him? Lord, is it now? Oh, they wanted to know, is it now? Is it now? Is it really now that the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel? They still hadn't gotten it, had they? Jesus simply said to them, don't worry about that. This is a loose paraphrase, by the way. Um, uh, don't worry about that. I have something more important for you to do. And that is to preach the gospel beginning in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. Always. When God raises up and sends out, it is with specificity. And particularly as in this case, to proclaim the word of God. What else, what else do we do? What else can we do? If we've done everything else, if we've dug wells in the Sahara, if we have passed out uh, water and blankets in the Himalayas after a terrible earthquake, if we have helped clean up uh, after the great tsunami and earthquake in Indonesia in 2004, if we have built schools, if we have built clinics, if we have done all of these things, and we have not given them the gospel. We have not yet done the work that the church at Antioch was doing. We've not yet done the work that Barnabas and Saul did. We've not yet done the work of missions. Proclaim the word. Proclaim the gospel. And so here's a third lesson. We must be going and sending out gospel proclaimers. Hmm. So, repeating our three lessons very quickly. Missions grows or emerges out of normal church life. It is not something that is rare and exceptional. Lesson two, we must always be listening to God, to the Holy Spirit, and always intentionally looking for those who will be sent out from amongst us. Thirdly, we must always be going out and sending for a specific purpose, and that is the proclamation of the gospel. Those are the lessons that I glean from these opening five verses. Now, the story, you know, as some of us older folks, we will remember um, Paul Harvey, and I'm not talking about my wife Donna's first cousin, the radio Paul Harvey. Remember he had that um, uh, regular running uh, radio program, um, uh, what was that? Um, what was it? Yeah, the rest of the story, yeah. The rest of the story. There's more of the story here. And we're not going to read this, but um, as Paul Harvey would say, there is more here. Uh, these who were sent out, they were opposed by the Jewish false prophet Bar-Jesus, and Elimas, the magician, we read that in the midst of that opposition, Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and even the proconsul believed. Wow. Back to our very first, very broad lesson. Remember that? Once again, 
God's purposes will not be thwarted. Let Herod, let the Pharisees, let the world, let Satan and his legions of demons, let all stand opposed to this God. And the psalmist in Psalm 2 tells us that God sits in heaven in derision and laughs at them. He will do all that he intends to do. So this morning we see that missions is normal. It's not something that is exceptional for the church. That's not the expectation. We should always be praying for missions and missionaries and the nations of the world. We should always be looking for those to be sent out and actually sending them out. We should always be giving. We should always be mobilizing and participating. This is not something that is simply expected at certain times of the year. Folks, this is normal. A healthy church is always doing these things. Sending is normal. Folks, this is simply normal church life. Perhaps this morning, there are those who would hear God speak by his Holy Spirit and through his word and begin to stir you up to ask these questions. Lord, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? And of course, even before those questions are asked, the more basic question must be asked, do I know the Lord who sins and his gospel? Do I understand that I am a sinner? That I must turn from my sins against the holy God? I must believe the gospel and follow after Jesus Christ as his disciple? These are questions that we must always be asking ourselves. Perhaps this morning you would, the Lord would lead you to ask some of these questions. Seek him. He will respond. In his church, he has provided a multitude of counselors who can help you think through the answers, pray through the answers. Don't forego that privilege. Just ask, brother, would you pray with me? Would you walk with me, help me? Would you explain this to me? But one thing that we do know, and that is that our Savior, our God, is not distant. He is not far. I heard Ernie Reisinger many, many years ago say of our Savior that he is closer than the front of the church building. Um, he's even closer than the tips of our fingers. Wherever there is a prayer for mercy, you'll find Jesus. And this is the message that Saul and Barnabas preached. And there were those who heard. And by the Holy Spirit's work, they turned from their sins and believed. And the church grew and grew and grew. Our Father, we thank you for the examples that you have set before us, not only individuals such as Paul, 
and his team of missionaries. But Father, this church at Antioch, we confess that perhaps many times we have thought of Antioch as kind of an exceptional, super spiritual congregation. But Father, the things that we see at Antioch are the very things that you expect of us. Help us to see these things. Father, lead us to be faithful in following after you. Stir us up to have the same passion for the gospel and the same concern for the nations that you yourself have. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.